0: Pride of Jenny won't give in. And now Mr. Brightside is sprouting
1: wings. Here he comes, Mr. Brightside over the top. He got up, he got up, Mr. Brightside. I think Mr. Biggs back in two. You know, you pass a bumpy, you go back and you And now on PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Occarty and your host,
0: Racetrack Rolfe. Can you believe it? We've locked in Monty Python with Matt Hill's fantastic call, Mr. Brightside, getting over the line there from Pride and Jenny. It was an epic group one to start the uh, Festival of Racing in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening to Year Round Carnival. And Vince Carty from Daily Sectionals, let's have a good deep dive into it. Good morning, mate.
1: Yeah, good morning, Ruffin. What a song. What a song. I was going, where did, where did Paul find this song? I, I didn't even know it existed.
0: Ah, uh, the great closing scene of life of Brian. Right on. Now... Yeah. I'm going to start somewhere a little bit different to what I normally, mm-hmm. normally start. Did you get the $1. thirty of the place, Mr. Brightside? No, I didn't, unfortunately. <laughs> you just had to stay out. Yes, yes, no. The, <laughs> I just couldn't get set. Yeah, right the, Yep. So... Tell, tell me this for our for our listeners, why? And I know it's a fundamental, but before we get deep into the race, this is our podcast. We can talk about what we like. What did? What would, What's your mindset when it comes to a dollar thirty and, and taking tight prices and saying, well, I'll just watch the race? Well, it's just a, a you know like a safekeeping
1: strategy. In other words, some people like to say, okay, I work X amount in my bank. Now, there's a lot of theories around that. A lot of people go out, you know, whether it's publicly or wherever else, and they talk about you work on X amount of percent of your bank and you'll never, you know, this is how you you stay in the game forever. And I found that to be, you know, not very true unless you're a robot. But the reality is for me with dollar thirty, is that's the minimum line I need that if, let's say my strike rate, again, I just want to be a normal person. And it's 18 to 25%. I'm just I'm just saying it's actually a little bit stronger than that, but that's where I set the parameters. And if my place betting can sit above 70%, then the reality is I won't lose money. I'll make money. Small, yep. and that's and that's why I have the minimum line of a dollar thirty. And and that's the my clause for me that if I can't get that, and you can conceive it as being then it's not valuable. Well, Instead of me trying to predict what's value and what's not, I let the market decide. And it doesn't mean the chances less, it just means it's unprofitable for me long-term based on if I just operate in an ordinary fashion. Now, the reality is I tend to operate well above that. Like if you have a look at the four main horses that we looked at on Saturday in Melbourne and you even taking out... That performance of Mr. Brightside and not getting the one hundred and thirty, you will still make a margin because ultimately this is what the game's all about. The game's all about making money, and you don't have to be Einstein to work out if you're averaging say a dollar eighty a place, and you're striking at seventy percent. You know what's your profit to the dollar? It's 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 not hard to work out. You, you, I'm not saying it's a license to print money, but it's not far off that. It it pretty much protects you. And the downside is, there are scenarios o- along a year where I want to back him, but I can't back him because I can't get on. And that's how I protect myself. And every now and then they get beaten, and then oh, it, okay, well that's worked for him. But the reality is, there's no value for me because the majority of my money is on a place.
0: So in this situation, if let's say Mr. Brightside was two ten dollars a dollar thirty, and come on, and then let's say it gets beaten in my nose instead of wing by a nose at a dollar thirty, you're still making a profit on one by four outlay. That's it.
1: That's it, and yep. that's the whole process of it. The the profit and this model was worked out about eight years ago. I had an independent organisation actually go through all the numbers, and that's how they came back to me saying this is the way I should bet. Have a three stage approach. Have you if you were betting. A lot more for a place your profitability would have gone from an average of you know say 45 to 90 units to 300 plus units a year and so i adopted that model and the reality is it's turned out to be probably well when i say slightly better this is the weird thing every year it appears that the overall underlying place price average that i've been succeeding has increased this is what really surprised me. I don't believe that I've, I'm have i a better performer overall, and I don't know exactly why there's a bit more value overall than what it used to be. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Is it? I mean, there's plenty of money in the pool. Like, it's huge. A lot of people probably just don't focus on it enough. There's plenty of money in the pool for a place. I'm not saying it's unlimited, but for a Saturday, Melbourne-Sydney very very rare to
0: uh, find yourself
1: in a unliquid position
0: so the two points being you're not telling other people how to spend their money you're no. saying you're saying how you spend yours <laughs> that's it
1: and and that's all and that's all I'm ultimately I am selfish and everything yeah. that I do it's all predicated around me on how I can perform better and performing better is in every aspect see I'll give you an example people say they work to percentages of banks well I haven't found anybody not one person that's been successful when they apply that model not one they don't because what happens is if you apply to that and you're back at two runners or three runners or one runner and you're looking to get an advantage what happens is when you start to have some losses and you start to erode your bank your you're, you're betting in terms of the dollar value is getting less and less and less and when you reach a tipping point It's unrecoverable. You actually can never get that money back, even if you have a tremendous uh, streak of winning, and which doesn't happen, right? Now, on the flip coin, this is working to percentages. I prefer, and maybe it is a simple thing, that I just have a set number of units. It's 60 units per week on a Saturday, and I have a tolerance level. The tolerance level is... If it's 70 units, I have to reduce my betting. I've either got to restructure what I'm doing in terms of unit outlay or I've got to omit a runner. And if it's it's 62, 63, 64, I just play on, right? And some weeks, like on Saturday, it's a 20-unit day. You know, all my bets were C-grade and that's it.
0: And the secondary point is we give the best information we can and we want you to win because we have no uh, ties with any corporate rule makers, and the tab's of corporate rule maker. And we don't criticise them, we do make no comment whatsoever, but we are saying we are completely independent of it and we're here mm-hmm. thanks to our fantastic members. So. W- we always want to provide you information to win, and there's no upside for us if you don't. So we try and give you the best information we can, and here we're going to break it apart via the CF4 Stakes. Vince, it was a fantastic race to watch. Firstly, before I ask about the racing specifically, Caulfield, I would say, played exactly as expected. Smaller, field, smaller fields, you wanted to not get too far off the fence, but in the bigger fields, the wide lanes were in play. Your thoughts?
1: Yes, for sure, and this probably created a couple of horses to get victory. Yep. Yep or make the victory look a little bit easier. It's got to be a little bit of caution there, not saying performances were down, but the majority of runners were pretty much anywhere between sort of lane three and six. And then we had sort of four races, and that's and typical. You can go through history. This is what typically happens, right, at Caulfield, when the rail's true, if the tracks are clean, even if they're not that clean, you know, in other words, like more given the ground, you'll find as the day gets later and later, Depending on the field size, they're going to have a tendency to get a lot wider, and they're storming home a lot easier. And you'll see that in the back end of the card here, from pretty much race seven onwards, you had like uh, the winner of race seven's come from lane nine, the winner of race eight has come from lane twelve, right side races lane eight, and Estrella twelve,
0: and all the others races before that, the widest they got was six. And what what do we see? We see Mark Zara, Craig Williams, Blake Shin, they know where to go. And they're always, not always, because Blake Shin was stuck on the fence in a couple of races, but when they can get there, they get out in those those best places on the track. I'll mash up a few of our member questions here because Mm -hmm. a lot of them, obviously, with the ore stakes. So we'll do that as an overview before we get into the race. Adam's asked, Pride and Jenny, huge first up in for a massive prep question mark. Um, uh, from Tom, can Mr Brightside get any better? Should be targeting Sydney autumn races? Uh, from Alistair, just the obvious, how brutal was the awe awe inspiring run from Jenny. Brightside heading for... for Champion status, and uh, and from um, from Peter, absolutely two proper horses resuming in the oar. I like the way Brightside pinned his ears back and chased. Love the way Pride of Jenny fought on Buffalo River after clearly being hit and looked like a brutal run. Assuming they both go to the maturity, does the clock give you any clue on which two had the harder run? Might be jaded in a couple of weeks. So a lot to break down there, Vince. Firstly, the champ, Mister Brightside. What do you do on the clock?
1: Well, this is it. It all comes back down to that, doesn't it? First section, point three below benchmark. The pace was in my view, genuinely probably a couple of lengths faster than what we were talking about because my view was it was probably more like going to be one to two lengths above benchmark, typical maybe benchmark, and the race speed was actually 4.4 above. It wasn't um, brutal, but it was solid. And sustained. Yeah, and sustained. That's the big key. The key is what's taken place between the 8 and the 400. This is the applied pressure that race pace uh, certainly didn't diminish. It actually increased prior to Jenny went from 4.4 above to 5.4 above. In other words, first forcing all other runners to have to lift bright side. On the other hand, I just thought it was, you know, it was was brilliant in terms of where, where it was through that first section 0.3 below 4.7 above between the eight and the four, not overextending. And, well, one of a, a couple of runners that was able to, you know, clearly break benchmark last 400 and produce a 1.4 finish.
0: So um, this is a real fundamental with your, with your work, Vince, one of many things you taught me. And as soon as Buffalo River hung on for a place, I thought, well, let's ask why that can happen at $61 because it shapes the whole race. If you go fast, not, over, not murderous, but fast, but then faster again, good luck out the back. And that's how Buffalo River was able to hang on. So 3.1 first section, 5.8 in the mid section. Everything else couldn't pick up its legs bar Mr. Brightside. And that's how Buffalo River was able to hang on. And, of course, he had the deep fitness edge over Pride of Jenny. But would this be a potential flat run for Pride of Jenny? 4.4, 5.4 first two sections, as you said, combined near 10 lengths, first first 1,000 rather, first two sections, or we're just going to accept that she's an iron horse and she's different gravy?
1: Well, we have to accept this horse as being an iron horse, Ralph, because it's been proven on too many other occasions that this horse can back up off pressure races and not diminish the performance. Most horses can't do that. The reality is this runner can and has got clear evidence that it can do it and has come back in superb fashion. Yes, the it, I do agree with some of the communication that was uh, had on the weekend that the projection that this horse was you know very very fit as well so that's another plus in terms of being able to hold on you, there is a drop off you can see the drop off particularly over the last 200 about three quarters of length so i, I sit back here and say this horse has set for further improvement and i'm not going to definitely not going to be in a position where i feel this horse isn't going to be able to back up where on buffalo rivers case i probably feel that that might be a bit more difficult
0: yeah, we're a veteran and we know, know his level. With Pride and Jenny, though, one thing is when, when, now it's in the zone and, as you said, it's already fit. How big was this first up's run compared to its profile? Because she's never been able to do anything like this, has she, first up?
1: No, and, and at this distance range. Yeah. We've seen a marked improvement in this particular horse and it probably matches... Like overall figure plus 3.1, it just matches with the evolution of this horse that we were seeing late last campaign when this runner was starting to deliver performances that were anywhere between 2.8 on the low and 5.1 on the high.
0: Mr. Brightside, of course, that brings him up to fifty percent strike rate. Wow, we—I think uh, one of the one of our members mentioned about the the better loosen up comparison, and gee, we're we're onto this early days, weren't he? Weren't we? Because someone said it, the eyebrow raised. I think it was someone from the Hayes Stable. And uh, one of the things with um, with uh, Mr. Brightside, like better loosen up until he laid in his career, many of his wins have been by narrow margins.
1: Yes, well, they have, and the reality is though. He's another runner that realistically has come back every bit as good as last campaign. Maybe even slightly better, Ralphie. Also, very fit horse. You can just look at the drop-off over the last 200 metres. It wasn't much, and it was uh, technically uh, not quite in the lanes, but borderline, if you're comparing to the horses on the inside, definitely a little bit of an advantage. And there was a a drop-off, but they had this horse primed and ready to go, and not a big drop off. And this is another runner that's going to, you know, love the step up to the mile.
0: Right. Um, well, I'm going to. Uh, I'm giving you a twenty dollar voucher that expires today, and you have to have it on the Futurity Stakes. So I'd either Mister Brightside at two thirty or pride and Jetty at seven dollars. What are you having it on in two well, weeks' who, time? Fourteen hundred. Who's the, who are the other horses? Doesn't matter. I'm just saying for a matchup of these two. Uh, what track conditions? Track condition's good. The rail will be at four metres in two weeks' time.
1: Well, very hard to not be <laughs> continually putting your money on brights over. The problem is, is it going to
0: get shorter? <laughs> well, that's the thing. So could be Jimmy Star might, might be part of it, but they're saying Flemington this week. So I don't think he'll be in the race. So it looks like it oh, could be okay. a two-horse race again. So uh, literally, and not literally, but perhaps for <laughs> you, time will tell there. So the, it, it gets to V8 is the other horse to ask you about. So it just shows you about how good Mr. Prytseil was being able to make ground when it comes to V8. He's improved his PB overall, Vince. So he's, he was gallant in the finish chasing hard. He only went down by 1.3 lengths. Uh, again, a matchup question for you because there's communication. They're thinking of the new market. I'm thinking, well, gee, but at the moment he's that 2.2 is as good as any three-year-old really on this side of the country in, in recent times since the golden rose. So, uh, I'd be surprised if, if – sorry, not surprised. If he was mine, he'd be going to the Australian Guineas. What would you be doing with it if he was yours?
1: Probably putting it away.
0: Right. <laughs> he's a fresh horse. Is that it?
1: Well, no, just he's a lightly raced horse yep. who obviously shows a lot of talent. And I have to say, when I was watching the race, I go, Jesus, the way he was looming, I said, who knows? He actually might win this. And then that intense pressure – got to him very late. That's also a sign of, you know, I I get it. Trainers are all trying to win everything. They've got a good horse. Let's go and win everything. But sometimes you can win a lot more by being very strategic. And if it was my horse, I'd be giving him a break and say, come back in the spring. Right. (laughs) And let him him evolve because there's a bit of a bounce theory on what's happened on the weekend because he did loom up and didn't finish and it's not because of fitness
0: yeah pressure
1: uh, so that it's pressure right yeah and it's just it's just not ready and sometimes that can adversely affect horses and therefore they don't uh, continue on and other times yeah I guess there is this possibility that they could go to the next leap but I'm sure he's not thinking right now that it's haydock.
0: Well, Haydock did win the Australian Giddies, that was the yep. thing. But then he became a champion sprinter, so bit, bit to bit to play out there. So whether he mm. runs against these two again in the fortnight's time uh, in the Futurity could be the question there. So we, of course, will be doing a preview of the Futurity. We'll be doing the Lightning Stakes this Saturday as well. So here's a little Friday offer for you. If you want to get on board for four weeks, we're going to, uh, we've got a package now up. So eighty nine dollars, our usual uh, cost of getting a week uh, of our uh, preview podcast as well as the uh, race speed profiles from daily sectionals. That's the early edition and the final edition. For this week, you can buy the Lightning Stakes or you can buy the next four weeks, which is Lightning Stakes Day, Blue Diamond Day, uh, Australian Guineas Day, and then Super Saturday. So uh, we've got a discounted offer there. So go by my website, racetrackrelfie.com.au, go to the preview podcast section. Okay, the Rubiton Stakes, speaking of of the Oakley Plate Blue Diamond Day and Futurity, the Triple Group One Day coming up, this was the classic Vince, Aspora set for the grand final in two weeks' time, little gas out, but Kalos did it come to play and obviously turned up very, very fit.
1: Yeah, it was a terrific performance by that horse, and I feel definitely took the next step. In terms of when I look at the way it was positioned in running, 3.6 lengths below, benchmark through that first 300 metres. It's a great place to be, spotting the lead, four, four and a half lengths between the eight and the four. Again, I I felt this was probably a pivotal moment in the race as well. That extension wasn't very much. It was a 3.9 length move between the eight and the 400. And yes, the horse was explosive over the last 400 and the lanes, like this horse was absolutely square on the lanes, like 12, around that 12, 13 line. And you see it 6.4 lengths above benchmark. Sometimes that can give you the attraction to say, "Well, this horse just might be better than the rest." But the reality is, you do have to factor that lane in and how much you're going to allow for that. And from what I can gather on the day, it was probably worth two lengths to be out in twelve versus six, because the uh, mean average was roughly in the six lane. So if you're in if you're in twelve, you probably got a two length advantage over that last three four hundred meters. So if you take that. Away and you get a, a bit more realistic approach, that means two things. Number one, probably the margin between the two will be a lot closer because the NPS margin came in around 1.9 lengths better for Kalos. That's maybe for
0: a second for yep, people picking this up. Yep. Yep.
1: So then what that means is if I take that two lengths away, I can sit here and say, well, no, well, Kalos will come in the future and probably will still be extremely competitive, even if it doesn't have the lane advantage.
0: So, and and for those not getting exactly what you're saying, I've got a nice little comparison for you. Think of last week, the rail was at nine metres. Where was it? All all the winners were between one one to four lanes off the fence. Yep. So you're, because you're already there. Back to the yes. true. It's harder to get out there, except in big fields, and then you slingshot out there. So it's just nice and simple when you when you 10 head off the fence at, at Caulfield. You're starting to get into the better ground. It's that simple.
1: Absolutely, no question about that.
0: Righto. So as for, I reckon, and we discussed this on the on the preview podcast. And this was the the head scratcher. You had to take into account trainer's intent. This time last year, Henry Henry Dwyer, the trainer, ran Asphora first up in the Oakley Plate, got beaten by Uncommon James, who had come off a beaten run in the Rubiton Stakes. Yes. So I reckon he's looked at that and said, yep, that's the pattern. This time we're going to go in fit, second up, and leave a little bit of juice in the tank on Saturday. Is that what the data reflects, that this has got more to come, this horse?
1: For sure. When you look at the breakdown of this performance, what's really evident is the following. I mean, that first section, 0.1 lengths below benchmark, good pace, just, you know, tagging behind that lead, sort of speed of around one length above. Between the eight and the four, I felt the horse was really holding its ground, just marginally below benchmark, 0.3 below. So that from the gates to the 400-metre point, this runner was pretty much maintaining a really as, – as close as you can get to even speed. And then the peak of the run was between the four and the 200. The horse ended up with a 2.1 lengths above benchmark, and then the last 200 meters, we've seen a drop off of 1.9 lengths. And on the flip side, with Kalos, Kalos's drop off was only 0.2, and it was in the lanes.
0: So Kalos best last 1,800, 600, 400 of the mm-hmm. day. The second best last 200. So even though he was first up, and as far as first up, they're, they're different beastie events. One was very fit, and one clearly has a juice to come.
1: Yes, and so. Again, if they're probably going to compete, will
0: they compete against each other in the ugly. in the, in the fortnight.
1: There's not a lot between them because I do feel that Kalos has made a step up. Yep. But the reality is in terms of overall fitness, it's hard not to see As4 improving that extra length, two lengths. And if they have the even sort of run lines, then that slight advantage is going to end up with As4 and probably even the price might be the same because now there's another run that's going to keep the price competitive.
0: I was making a case for Zapoteo, and, uh, and that, was, mm. <laughs> that was that was. Now I'm looking at this in hindsight. I'm looking at the data. Did the staple have Kalos very fit, but Zapateo with more to come? Well, again, when, let's, have yeah. let's have a look at this. Yeah,
1: let's have a look at this. One point two lengths below benchmark first section, about a length behind Asfora between the eight and the four hundred. Still traveling half a length below benchmark. The peaking of this run was also between the four and the two with a plus two. And the drop-off, and here's the key, Ralphie, the drop-off was, a, was 0.7. Nowhere near as much as four.
0: Yeah.
1: And the horse had an easier run. So when you bring all that together, you've got the probability of, let's say, Zapatao, yes, it is going to improve. That's, you know, I believe you're spot on, Ralphie, with your thinking. The reality is, though, it's not going to help you if you go up against the same horses, though. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking.
0: I don't know which race. It, 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 she can win next up, but I don't want to be on her against yeah. us for
1: Can they find another race? Well, so that's we,
0: it. So if it goes and- to another race, I'll put it in Sizzlers. Otherwise, I'm leaving <laughs> out of Sizzlers. <laughs> The last race was a bit of fun, though Vince, for Estriella. we really identified this. There was some insane pricing there on the uh, on the favourite, and that ended yep. up drifting. And when the ma stable, when the money comes from the bar runner, you just want to you know, be part of the cavalry. Vince, swim with the tide. And uh, again, Blake's in beautiful out in the best leads. This horse, I think, has got upside, hasn't it? First uh, first up, second prep.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it, the performance? Yeah. Really good speed, 1.1 lengths below benchmark through that first 300 metres. Excellent move between the 8 and the 400 metres going 1.9 above. And pretty much, if you look at those split times between the 4 and the 2 and the 200, they were virtually identical. So 100%, the uh, Ma team, they knew what they had on their hands. Shin, he made it very clear even post-race. He knew the lanes, right? He said it. (laughs) <laughs> that was the best part of the track, and and we actually had, we, we said that it's highly likely that's exactly what he's going to do because he was drawn for that success. Probably the the greatest part was he ended up being
0: a really good price. Or she did. Sorry, absolutely. Four fifty into four dollars too. So, you know, for those who talk about, you know, you've missed the price, <laughs> I'd, ra- I'd rather rather be with the my runner when the when it's big when it's four four fifty into three into yep. four dollars than, uh, than going the other way. We'll uh, we'll keep the uh, the two year olds for our um, members again as an exclusive podcast. So uh, we're doing that as a bonus podcast today. Will be the two year olds covering the blue diamond uh, previews as uh, preludes rather, as well as the English Millennium. So uh, those three races we'll do as the bonus podcast for our fans. Fantastic members. If you want to be a member, again, via my website, you Click through the links. If you're group one member, you'll receive that. And also, all our members get best of the day sent to them the breakdown from our sizzlers. Uh, I want to ask you about Foxy Cleopatra. In fact, we've got a member's question, which I'll dig out for you there. But, say so you were keen on Vince. And uh, was this a barrier troll or a race in race five?
1: <laughs> well, 4.6 <laughs> lengths below benchmark. Pretty cruisy pace, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It, it made it really hard for the rest of the horses when you think about it. I mean, I can't believe it, right? They're cruising at a slow pace. And you look at Foxy Cleopatra, for instance. Why would you be going nine lengths below benchmark when they're already going slow? It's a handicapping nightmare when you do that, right? Because the slower you go and the further you are behind, the harder it is to make that move. And even the mid-race, it wasn't a gigantic move in the mid-race. Janssen's gone from 4.6 below to 0.3 above. So that move between the 8 and the 400 was 4.9 lengths. That was nothing, like absolutely nothing. It was just a, a cruisy move. And then probably the biggest thing that surprised me is, I was probably a little bit disappointed with the finish, or maybe, maybe they just knew the horse he was going to be home. So why push it any harder?
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, the horse has missed a lot of racing, so and for a reason. So you just wonder if that means it's that's its new ceiling. Time will tell. You don't want to be putting that on a mar runner, but uh, Alistair oh. asked, thought Foxy Clear Patches' run is worth noting. Natalie was not happy after race. I wasn't aware of that, but uh, he's referring to the co-trainer there. But as far as Foxy Cleopatra was concerned, again, why, why I was there? Well, there's, there's death for you, Barrier One sometimes, and if you're a bit slowly away, then you are three back the fence. And Blake was also there in a high octane, so he was he was either in the best lanes or the worst ones. Uh, as far as that mid race move, that, that's I don't think she could have gone any better from that position, could you?
1: No, it was it was when you talk about these sort of distances particularly sort of 14 1,600 metres. When you're getting up to that two seconds of squeeze between the 400, that's high acceleration. There's big lactic build-up, Ralphie. It's hard for a horse to have much more than that. And this was 11.3. It was pretty much borderline like the 10th biggest, or 11, actually, I'm just looking here, 11th biggest squeeze of the day. So, oh, yeah, you're right, Ralphie. How, how could you have done much more? The good uses this, generally speaking, that always works in the horses' favor into
0: the future. Well, that might be a little nugget for our listeners there because yep. eighteen hundred and a fortnight's time, I think Peter uh, the Young will be her race, and that uh, that, that if you're saying that she can elevate, she's going to be pretty hard to beat. Then, if that's the case, yep. there. Uh, that, now, I've mentioned about V eight in the futurity, mm-hmm. Snow Patrol just beat South. Port Tycoon, there was a nose between them, decent gap to zip away, uh, you couldn't have got a more different race shape. They were both 400 Caulfield, but they were both different, they were different here because prior to Jenny's rolling along at a fast pace and in the race four, they were pretty cruisy.
1: Well, they were, they were really cruisy. Snow Patrol was going 6.8 below benchmark, Southport Tycoon 4.8 lengths below benchmark and the lead speed was 2.4 below. So absolutely, you couldn't get a more comfortable race shape Even in the mid-race, there was no overextending. That's typically what you should be able to do to have a finish is have a mid-race move of anywhere between between sort of six and eight lengths is great. And Snow Patrol was 8.5. Southport Tycoon was 5.3. So the accelerations weren't over the top. And they really did leave it for whatever's going to be left in the tank for the last 400 metres. I felt that Snow Patrol's run... Peaked right on the 200 meter point and then just gridded out the last 200. You could see it now. This is both these horses had a dip between the six and the four. South uh, Snow Patrol lost 1.5 and Southport Tycoon lost 1.6. And then the squeeze I call it a mini squeeze between the four and the two a re acceleration for Snow Patrol of from 0.1 to 1.9 and Southport Tycoon from 0.6 below to 1.2 and it's really interesting when you look at it from that dynamics not much difference between them but just that last 200 meters that's what I'm trying to work out now South a Snow Patrol I don't know why I call it South but (laughs) Snow Patrol 1.5 above 0.4 drop-off Southport Tycoon maintained so I'm sitting back here saying okay, maybe Southport was very, very fit. Yep. And there's not going to be a lot more to come. And maybe Snow Patrol, that extra extension above benchmark between the four and the two, seeing that de late, could
0: could be in line for more improvement. So it should be, but it has to go straight in the Australian Guineas in three weeks' time, second up. There's, there's a very real chance it could be a field of 16 and they're going six lengths above benchmark up front. So that'll be a big dynamic for it to, to cope with.
1: Yes. And yeah, okay. You're, you're, wow, you're looking well and truly into the future, aren't you, Ralph?
0: <laughs> well, because I want to bring in as well the third horse here, because then Zipaway, not much market support, cruise out the back, good mid race, grand final, Australian Guineas. What Zipaway's done with, with, you know, you talk about your bounce theory there. So uh, it, it didn't come to play on Saturday, but the grand finals, of the Australian Guineas, it's got big residual fitness from the, from the obviously the Perth Carnival. And it's proven it can handle pressure.
1: Yeah. Well, Ralphie, obviously I look at that and and I'm just sitting here saying that when you look at where it was travelling through the first section, going almost a length slower than snow patrol. So in yep. other words, allowing to breathe a lot easier. Between the 8 and the 400 metre mark, it was also breathing a lot easier, even though the squeeze overall was, was bigger. But the reality was, in terms of how far you were above the benchmark, it was less than Snow Patrol. And then I I guess I just look at that last 200 metres in particular, it couldn't outsprinter Now, when I was watching the horse in running, you could see it, it stuck on. Yep. Oh, oh, this is just another horse, they are they coming too quick? Are they, I know, I guess you only get one chance at the guineas, who am I to say, right? But it just feels like to me, it's all too late already for this time in for this horse. That's what it felt like to me. And I'm looking at the numbers and I'm saying, well, I don't see you rebounding and running to the level you did at ascot because i I feel you've already peaked and you you need you're you're a bit like a couple of other horses you should be coming back later but i guess you can't win those big races later you're having a crack now
0: well there's a reason like a team williams give their horses like 200 days off and then they build into that summer summer carnival don't they and when they they explode on their grand final better finish with two things here firstly another will it's pretty promising, Vince, and uh, it just smashed him in race three. Obviously, a, a, you know furlong in quotation marks better than BM70 company. What type of what type of learnings did you get from this run, race to race from Sandown? Well, I, I felt this was one of the best runs of the day. Yeah, I just thought, I just thought it was sensational. Point six
1: above could have easily been stronger. Just missed out on the top ten for the day, which is another big plus the slowdown I felt was savage for this horse between the eight and the four going from plus 1.9 down to 2.3 actually gave every other runner behind it. You know, this is the first six place getters in particular probably an advantage and they still couldn't beat it, which, and even when I look at the last 200 meters, it actually pretty much outperformed most runners. I just see this horse continuing to improve and is much better than what it's been scored at at the moment.
0: Nice. All right. Now, some of us are going to put our hand up, Vince. <laughs> the Sydney, the the, uh, the big, booming performance of Cabalus. We found it in the uh, in the Sizzlers, but by Friday you weren't that keen on it. And uh, and uh, Tom's asked us about the 100-to-1 shot. And it would be fair to say, well, I, I know you said that in, in a uh, yeah. <laughs> in a throwaway fashion, of course, but it was, it was soft in the market, yet post-race, Bjorn Baker said, this is the second best horse I've trained behind Osmosis. So, we? How did it improve to the extent that it did? Well, okay.
1: well, firstly, the horse has definitely taken the next step. No question, right? Plus 1.4. So, I'm paying respect to that. I didn't see any of those possibilities leading into that run. That's my first view. The second part is the pace 7.7 lengths below benchmark first section there's no doubt when i look at the day at ramwick you got to take some consideration to the wind as well yep But, but to the 800 meters you if even if you take away race three ralphie which was probably the biggest aberration of the day right yep that track was five this is taking away race three around five and a half lengths softer than any other part of the course. And it's not all wind-factored. So there was definitely more give around the back.
0: That's different drainage. No question.
1: Yeah, and hence the reason why this changes the structure. So how much of that was played into this performance as well? But I'm taking nothing away. I just said to myself, fantastic, what a great performance, took that next step. I didn't have that expectation of this horse, but it's been able to do it. Of course, I look at the... The speed, 7.7 below first section, good move in the mid race to 0.4 below. Last 400 metres, undeniable, was just, I just thought it was sensational and looked like it was going to smash him. But I looked at a couple of other
0: things as well. I'll, firstly, I went and had a look at Tom Kitten. No, I was going to ask you about that. Because because watching I thought you were a derby horse. But then uh, watching, obviously, you now the data's come through and what you've explained to our listeners there is that it was such a slow tempo. You probably can't do much more than that, particularly if you've got grand finals ahead.
1: No, and then if I look at the last 100 metres because I like to, you know, it's particularly race like this. I like to look at everybody's last 150 metres only because you can, you can sort of get the 50 metres on a Saturday at at places like Ram because they've got that extra line. But the 100, more importantly, was uh, this horse was clearly coming home a lot stronger. And for me on a personal level, firstly, I knew I'd made the right course staying out of the race. So from a business point of view, I knew I'd made the right decision. In terms of the assessment, there's no question I did not have that anticipation or e- expectation that that horse could make that leap because I felt there were a couple of other runners that could easily have been better than that, and, and it wasn't the case. But then I look here at, at Tom Kitten, and you look at the way. As soon as they got out of the gate, they said they're not winning this race. They're, yes, not, even,
0: exactly. they're <laughs>
1: not even trying. They just wanted a good hit out, out the back, and then hit the line. So the possibility of them saying let's go and attack this race wasn't there and i don't know are they going to meet each other again in the future or not or will Caballus be
0: sticking to the short courses well i don't know but i'd say yeah you yeah, know tom kitten you'd assume would be two runs away from the australian uh, sorry the um ramwick guineas over a mile and uh, and then uh, you know good luck onwards from the rosehill guineas to this ajc derby they might even take uh, take on the older horses in a uh, queen elizabeth who knows if he makes that progression but I suppose the overview there is there's no reason to drop off Yeah, on, on your big opinion of this horse from the spring,
1: no. And Cabalus, even when I look at the last 200 meters, had a little bit of a drop off. So, this horse has still got more improvement to come. So, I'm now that's, that's the beauty of racing, right, Ralphie?
0: When the information like, changes, the you change your opinion.
1: Well, yeah, I don't sit there and just say, Oh, well, I didn't like it then, I'm never going to like it. Exactly. So, this is. So you've got to put the ego aside, right? It's got nothing to do with that. You, you make an analytical assessment in the moment. Yep. And you can't – well, I'd love to get everything always right. I would be the happiest man. And sometimes I'm not going to be a guy that's going to sit behind the tree and say, yeah, you know, and say, no, I'm going to call it how I see it, right? Yep. And and if I get it wrong, well, that's okay. What did I learn from it? And that's what I love about the game.
0: All right, fantastic. Thanks for listening to Year Round, Carnival. Our members are going to get our breakdown of fully lit uh, win in the millennium as well as the Blue Diamond previews, as said. But in the in the meantime, thanks for listening, and next week we'll break down the lightning stakes and other big races as this great sport evolves this time in 2024.